St. Athanasius was born around the year 300. To put that in perspective, 50 years after St. Anthony <laughs> was, was born. Um, so at this point, St. Anthony is already in the desert, but probably this is during the end of his era of solitude, which, which matters because their lives are going to end up crossing um, together. And so in the year 300, we're nearing the end of our persecution um, in Egypt, because in the year 303, I believe, I believe it's 303, it might have been 313, was the Edict of Tolerance from Emperor Constantine that ended officially the persecution um, of the Christians. So whether he was born in that year or a decade later, his childhood is in this end, tail end of a period. And it's a period where the church started to focus more, because of that piece, on education and knowledge, right? Whenever we're in a period of, of persecution, it tends not to be a theological time for the church um, because the church is more concerned about people remaining in the church, remaining faithful, um, which is why even right now we were, well, seems like we're starting an era of persecution again, but for the period where things were peaceful, you saw Pope Shnuda focus heavily on Christian education again, right? Once there was a little bit more breathing space. We saw more schools being opened and suddenly that became a big thing. But when we're worried about whether we're going to be alive at the end of a service or not, um, it doesn't mean we don't stop teaching, but the focus of, of, of the teaching becomes more on virtue, more on loving your enemies, more on surviving, and things like that. So there's two stories about St. Athanasius's childhood. One is in the history of the patriarchs, by um, one of our popes named Severus, and it's the less popular story. And then there's a story that we read in the Synexarium. The Synexarium one is that he's born to Christian parents, um, and that they don't say much about his dad, but it seems to be that his dad passed away or something happened. And then we read the famous story of him baptizing people and Pope Alexander seeing him. But the story in the history of the patriarchs is that he was actually born to pagan parents and his father died when he was young and his mom didn't really like Christians very much and she was very worked up because one of his tutors was a Christian and filling his head with horrible Christian things and Saint Athanasius was very moved by what he read and tried to get more and more the documents that he maybe didn't know at the time was the New Testament um, where he learned more about Christ and himself became a Christian in spite of his mother. And then they said that his mother later also became a Christian. Either way, he ends up very young, probably as a, as a young teenager, maybe 12 or 13, maybe as later 15 or 16. I'm saying that because at 20, he's at the Council of Nicaea. He was playing by baptizing his friends um, who were catechumens. And I say playing because he had memorized all of the service. So like what we end up doing in the morning, which is a long, like it's a very long service, he had the whole thing memorized. Um, and he did the whole service, he made them say all the things, and he didn't know that Pope Alexander was watching from his balcony. And he's like, bring me that kid. <laughs> and he goes, this isn't a normal kid. Um, and so A, he didn't repeat the prayers that Athanasius did. He simply did the immersions himself and chrismated himself, but he didn't repeat the liturgical prayers. And then he requested that Athanasius become a personal uh, deacon to himself. So obviously he was a very charismatic person. He was short, 
He was redheaded, and so he was very fiery, um, even from a, from a young age. So Pope Alexander had him as a disciple. And to understand Pope Alexander, you need to know history from about 20 years before it, um, which was the time of Pope Peter, Seal of the Martyrs, who I'm going to bring in an icon for him because he's another incredible saint. In the days of Pope Peter, it was a period similar to now, but far, far, far worse. At the end of one of the persecutions, there was a big controversy when, when one of the emperors who was persecuting us died about how to deal with people who left the faith during the time of persecution. And so there were people who left because they were forced to go be martyrs and they weren't ready for it. And then there were those people who said, I, I'm ready, I'm going to be a martyr. But when it came down to the moment of, they got afraid and left. And so... The church dealt with them differently, and Pope Peter dealt with them very mercifully, which angered one of the bishops, the Bishop of Osiut, named Miletius, um, who said that that's not right. And so a schism started in the church. The Bishop of Osiut separated himself from the rest of the church, and anyone who followed him was called a Miletian. So that's one thing important about the time of Pope Peter. The other important part is, more important part actually, is Arius, who became the focal point focal everything of St. Athanasius's life in terms of the events, not in terms of, of what he cared about. So Arius was a priest from Libya, but Libya was under the jurisdiction of the Church of Alexandria. Um, it was called the Pentapolis, the five cities. And so he was a priest under the, the Pope, and Arius had his own ideas about Christ, where he started teaching that Christ wasn't really God. That, and his famous buzzword or buzz line was, there was a time when the sun was not, which must have rhymed in the original language, um, because it was apparently very catchy. Everybody was repeating it. It was put into song, um, and everybody was singing it. So Pope Peter tried with Arius to convince him that what he was teaching was wrong. Arius wouldn't back down. So eventually Pope Peter had a local synod, the Church of Alexandria only, and they excommunicated um, Arius and removed him from his priesthood. I can't remember how many times Arius was reinstated and excommunicated because he would say, oh, I'm so sorry, I recant. He'd be reinstated and then he would go back um, to what he was saying. And it might have happened twice during the time of Pope Peter. So eventually he's completely excommunicated and there's two disciples of his named Achilles and Alexander that were very close to Pope Peter. And they came to him when they, when, when they were feeling badly for Arius to intercede for him. And they came to him and said, Sayyidina, like, you're really nice to everyone except him. Why can't you just find in your heart to have mercy on him. He's saying that he's changed his mind. He's saying that he doesn't believe in this anymore. Um, and he's saying that he'll teach the right thing. So Pope Peter told them, what I'm revealing to you, I don't want to reveal publicly. And he goes, but I had a vision um, in which I saw Christ. And suddenly his garment that he was wearing was rent in two. And, his, and he was exposed. He was naked in front of me, which is like a sign of shame. Nobody should be exposed in front of anybody. So he said, I put my head down and I said, my Lord, who has done this to you? And he said, this is Arius who has done this. He has no parts in me now or in the age to come. And so he was like, and for that reason, I am not accepting him. 
And he goes, and now I will tell you both, each of you is going to end up Pope. Um, Pope Peter was a prophetic uh, patriarch and incredible saint. Um, he said, each of you will end up patriarch. And I am telling you both in your duties as patriarch, do not readmit Arius into the priesthood. Shortly after Pope Peter's death, Pope Peter died as a martyr. Um, that's why we call, him, we call him Pope Peter's seal of the martyrs, um, because he asked God that his death be the end of that persecution, and that's why we call him the seal. So he was killed, and that's his own story, which is incredible. And sure enough, within no time, Achilles was put on the throne of Alexandria as number 18. Within... I don't know, it must have been a few weeks because he was only on the throne for six months. Achilles reinstated Arius. And some people are like, maybe that's why he only lived six months. Um, but he was reposed within six months of taking the throne. And after him came Alexander. So Alexander removed Arius again from the priesthood. Um, but now Arius is being a lot louder. And it's in this kind of thing where Athanasius is born. Right, is that this is an ongoing issue that hasn't gone, gone away. So Arius, during this time, had started to make friends with people outside of Egypt. So he made particular friends with one bishop named Eusebius, and there's, there's a few. And he step, kept on saying, I'm a victim in Alexandria, all I'm saying is this, and Pope Alexander is a jerk, he doesn't understand me, and he doesn't want to listen to me. And he was by all accounts, appearing people to be a very religious man, a very old, frail man, a white beard, beautiful voice, like the kind that would walk like this, that, and I was like, oh, wow, that must be a saint, which is why we don't judge by looks. And so he won over a lot of people, like a lot of people had pity of like this poor old man, like why is the church being so mean to him? And in his own writings, he was refusing. Like, the, the church did try with him. Like, Alexander didn't just say, I'm excommunicating you because Pope Peter told me, right? He gave him a forum to have a dialogue. Um, but at this point, Arius was no longer trying to hide. He's like, no, this is what I believe, no matter what. So Alexander is raising this young man, Athanasius, and teaching him. So he went to the school of Alexandria, where he learned a great amount of theology and philosophy. And he even was sent to the monastery. So he went to the monastery of the best saints in history, Mark, St. Anthony the Great, um, where he became a disciple to St. Anthony and, and learned spiritually a lot from St. Anthony, which is why he ends up being his biographer um, later on in his life and writes how he was like, it was like a great joy to him. He, would, he said, I would run, I would rush to wash his hands and his feet. That was the love that he felt for St. Anthony. And as a young teenager, he wrote what is still considered the authority on the Incarnation. A lot of the content of my sermons ends up coming from this book on the Incarnation, which St. Athanasius wrote at the age of 20. And this book is still considered the book until now for this subject by all the denominations, not just by um, Orthodox Christians. So from that you can see how deeply immersed he was in the church for him to A, have memorized the baptismal rites, B, at the age of 20 to be writing masterpieces like that. And on the Incarnation it was part two of a series. Part one was actually writing against the Gentiles. He's writing against polytheism and paganism and atheism. And then after that he then goes into the, the Incarnation itself. So everybody saw him as the most 
like astute and most gifted individual. And so it was no surprise that when Arius made enough noise, Emperor Constantine uh, convened uh, a council, the first ecumenical council of Nicaea, where Athanasius went along with Pope Alexander as, as his deacon. So he was really a nobody in the midst of all of these big bishops from all over the world, the 318 of them that had come. And, and these were not just nobodies. Many of these people were confessors. Um, there were all sorts of people who had been just coming out of the persecution era had been really barbarically treated by, by the Romans. And so they came with their wounds. So Arius obviously didn't present a very strong case. Athanasius led the debate against Arius and led the discussion theologically, at least on behalf of the school of, of Alexandrian thought from the Church of Alexandria. And everybody was impressed by him. And it was him that led the writing of the creed. Um, I'm careful not to say that he wrote the creed because he didn't, because a creed already existed. There was a short creed that used to be read um, when people were baptized, and they took it and they expanded on it. But what Athanasius really fought for, like, like would not drop, is this one word that we say so casually now, consubstantial with the Father, or of one essence with the Father, or co-essential with the Father. These are all different um, translations of the word. In Greek, it's homosius. And there's an expression that doesn't get said very much anymore. It used to be. Where when people would be arguing, it's like, he won't budge even over one iota. Right? Whereas, I'm not budging. And that expression comes from St. Athanasius. Because what Arius was trying to argue was homo, Iosius, right? He just put a single iota in the middle, and that single letter changed the whole meaning of same essence, not of two, of similar essence. And that one letter changes Jesus from being God to making Jesus like God, or God-like, but not God. And that's why I think it's like, no, I am not budging. You have to sign homosius. If you don't sign this word, you are not among the faithful. And so that word was a, was a huge deal, and that's where we got that expression from, where the whole world was in conflict, and they're like, just, it's a letter. He's like, nope. <laughs> he was like, it's an important letter. It's a letter that means the world of a difference in terms of our faith. So the creed was signed. Allegedly, a few of the bishops who sided with Arius before taking the creed back to the emperor crossed off their names. Um, there's other stories of a, a second document being signed. At any rate, even though the 318 original signed, it was, the 318 did not all actually agree. And so Arius's fate didn't end up ending there. Um, it didn't end with Nicaea, which, which everyone had hoped that it would. The controversy continued. And so Athanasius's papacy, so, within, so that council was in 325, so Athanasius was between 20 and 25 years old. And shortly after, Pope Alexander died. And St. Athanasius, even though was extremely young, younger than me, was made Pope of Alexandria and Pope of arguably the most prominent church at the time, at least theologically the most prominent church of the time. And so he had to deal with multiple things. He had to deal with, but that was resolved that, theoretically at Nicaea, the Miletians, who had split, 
So at Nicaea, they resolved that, but it didn't go away. So that was a big part that he had to deal with. But even bigger was that Arius, even though the council had decided against him, it didn't go away. And Arius was a great actor. So Arius kept on going to Constantine the Great and telling him, I'm a victim. I'm ready to sign anything. They just don't like me. And kept on arguing with the, the emperor to intervene. And sometimes the emperor would. So the emperor would start sending letters, he'd start threatening, and he even exiled St. Athanasius. And so St. Athanasius did something that's just so bold that could have cost him his life. He went to Rome, and he grabbed the emperor's horse by the bridle, which could have meant instant death um, for any normal citizen. And he said to him, the Lord judge between you and me. And he was like, for what you're doing to me. He's like, the Lord will judge. And he goes, but leave the affairs of the church to the princes of the church and the affairs of the empire to the emperor. Um, and he was like basically saying, don't mix church and politics, right? Your job is to run the state. Our job is to run the church. Don't mix the two. The emperor still had sympathy for him, for, Athena for Arius. Um, he left Athanasius alone for a bit, like after like treating him horribly. And Constantine was baptized on his deathbed actually by an Arian, um, by that same Eusebius that was tricked at, uh, that tricked, had a trick signature at the Council of Nicaea. So when Constantine died, his two sons took the throne, and there was one son that liked Athanasius and one son that was against him. So basically, for the next few emperors, Athanasius was in and out of exile over and over and over again. So he lived in hiding sometimes. Sometimes he didn't have to live in hiding, but he wasn't allowed in Egypt, where he went to Rome, actually. Um, other times he lived among the monks. And you can see in his fleeing, in his exiles, how much the church loved him and how much of a father they saw him. Because one nun gave him a house just to live in. He lived in a secret like annex, like a loft on the top, almost like World War II style, where he just hid there for a long time. And this is luckily where his monastic upbringing, like his time in the monastery, helped him, because he wasn't troubled by living alone. In fact, that's where he did most, a lot of his writing was done from exile. The monks would disguise him, they wouldn't let anybody know that he was there. When they'd hear rumors that the emperor's troops were coming to look for him, they disguise him and send him to another monastery. And so they were excited that their Pope got to live with them in their monasteries. So he'd go from monastery to monastery, and they'd be excited that the Pope was, was among them. They loved him dearly. In fact, one of the times when he came back from exile, the, the joy that you see the way they write about the receiving of Athanasius, they said that, that thousands of faithful gathered around the Nile to receive him, singing of Logimenos and waving palm branches, and taking him in a full procession to the cathedral. Right, So this is a man beloved by his people, knowing that he's fighting for the truth that he's willing to suffer for. One of his arrests, actually, or, or attempted arrests, shows us that Tazbaha was done very early in the church, because it says that Athanasius was in the church praying Psalm 136. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for his good, for his mercy endures forever. Right, So they were in the middle of that. And they came in storming to arrest him, the soldiers of, of the Romans. And it says that he very calmly, like he didn't run, he didn't yell, he didn't scream, very calmly in the middle of the soldiers just walked out. And it, they said it was like they couldn't see him. Um, it reminds me of when it says that Christ, they, when they want to kill him, and it says, but he just walked 
and no man laid hands on him. Athanasius just calmly <laughs> did the same thing. But he had a sense of humor because he went, obviously he's Alexander, he went to the port, he took two of his disciples and he set out on, uh, on a boat. And after an hour or two of rowing, he tells the two with me, he was like, turn around and go towards Alexandria. Um, and they're like, are you crazy? <laughs> he's like, they're trying to kill you there. And he goes, no, just go back. And so as they're going back, in almost no time, a boat of soldiers is heading in the direction that they were heading in, but now they're going the opposite. And they ask them, have you seen Athanasius? <laughs> and he looks at them and with his straight face said, he's not far from you, <laughs> which was true. And they're like, great. And they kept going. <laughs> and he went back to Alexandria, where he went into hiding again until it was safe for him to come out. So of his, I think, 57, 56 years of, of, of being on the throne of Alexandria, the vast majority of those years um, were spent in exile, um, separated from his people, which is why you need an extremely strong personality um, to endure something like that. There is a homily that I really like of his that's preserved in a manuscript. Um, there's a book called The History of the Monks of Upper Egypt. Most of the writings of Athanasius we have are theological writings. Some of them are not, uh, are not only theological, like his meditations on the Psalms, but in that book, The History of the Monks of Upper Egypt, there's a really nice encounter where a bishop in southern Egypt, I believe is either Aswan or, or Luxor, tells St. Athanasius that, he goes, I need to confess something, I'm actually racist. <laughs> and he said, I'm, I, I don't like these dark people from Nubia and Ethiopia, which I like that he actually admitted. And Athanasius gives him a full homily on love. Um, which was which is beautiful. Like it's not the way that we're we often like get the writing of Saint Athanasius, but how wrong that is, um, and what is the proper way to show love. I encourage you all to read it. That book is it's published by Cistercian Studies. Um, I'll probably order some for the the bookstore. But it's it's a beautiful encounter. Arius wreaked a lot of havoc, telling people that the saints agreed, and that's why we see, for example, Saint Anthony came out of the monastery one time just to tell the people, I support Athanasius, I don't support Arius, which was a very big deal to St. Athanasius, obviously, because he needed the support, because literally the whole Christian world turned against him. Arius had him brought to trial multiple times. One of the trials was very humorous. There's an account of it that Athanasius himself writes about, because Arius couldn't get him theologically, so he started accusing him of crimes. So he accused him of murdering somebody, of having somebody murdered. He accused him of having cut off somebody's arm. And so Athanasius knew about these accusations before getting to trial and was able to track both people down, the so-called dead one and the guy who had lost his arm. So in the middle of the trial, as they're accusing him of all of these things, um, Athanasius stands up and he was like, so I did all of these things. And he's like, yes. And I was like, all right. So he asks the one guy to come back and he's like, is he dead? And so the guy's like, I am so-and-so, and I like, I never died. Um, and he was like, I'm around. Um, and then the other guy, they raised his, they very dramatically raised his cloaks, and he's like, here's his right arm, here's his left arm. And then St. Athanasius asked, is there a third one that we should be aware of that I allegedly um, cut off of him? So he, I like that he could have a peace in the times of, of trouble. Most people would have been afraid for their lives, um, but Athanasius was, was not at all. So, tradition says that St. Anthony 
edited his book on the incarnation that they used to go for walks um, and and Athanasius would talk to him about what he was going to be writing and Antony would, would do that and you can see very similar styles in the letters of Antony to Athanasius' style in On the Incarnation um, and of course St. Athanasius wrote his life and got to wear St. Antony's tunic as well which he considered as a great blessing Arius died a gruesome death um, the Lord intervened because it came to a point where Arius claimed that he was signing the creed and said that he truly believed. And so Alexander, the patriarch of Constantinople, not of Egypt, was basically ordered by the emperor, if he signed that creed, you must accept him into communion. Because on what basis are you excluding him if he believes? But Alexander was very worried about it because he knew it was a lie. Um, and he knew that he was going to sign, and then within two days he was going to do whatever he wanted again. And so he called on the whole church to pray for three days. So, so Arius, the day of the liturgy, was extremely excited, very arrogantly looking at them like, ha ha, it's my victory. And during liturgy, he went out to use the bathroom, and all of his guts came out, and he died on the spot um, before receiving communion, which everybody saw as a form of divine intervention of saying that God himself testified in the end. Um, so Arianism didn't immediately die, but it, it was the beginning of the end at that point because now the strongest of the proponents of it were gone. I mean, modern-day Arians are the Jehovah Witnesses, but um, in terms of the formality, it was gone. But from Athanasius, the depth of his writing, which I encourage you to read, Athanasius is not difficult to read. His writing style is very simple. He's not as verbose as St. Cyril, for example, or St. John Chrysostom. But you see a man who had vision where we call him the apostolic because it means that he was so deep in his knowledge of Christ that it was as if he was one of the twelve. Um, they're like, because how could he know him so well like that? And that's why we call him the, the apostolic. His name means the immortal one. So we learn from him zeal, right? There's a famous line of his where one bishop came to him and said, Athanasius, the whole world is against you. And Athanasius, they, they shortened the response, but he said, and I, by the grace of God, am against the world. And he was absolutely fearless. Um, his knowledge, his, his depth, his spirituality, his prayers, his love of the Psalms, his love of prayer, his love of solitude, his love of theology, the love of his people. He was and is an incredible saint. May his prayers be with us, and glory be to our God forever and ever. Amen.